0: Good afternoon, in the Lord's name be glorified, it's uh, once again a great privilege uh, for me to stand before you with with the responsibility of delivering the word of God uh, today, and our passage today is from, once again, from Psalm 119, verses 161 through 176, this is the last two stanzas of this long psalm, so... Uh, We are bringing the series to an end uh, with with this sermon. So if you could rise with me, if you are able to, as we read God's word, Psalms 119, verses 161 through 176. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The verses are also on screen. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord, Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. You may be seated. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to reflect uh, on your word, in your word, and through it, Allah, we'll Lord, to reflect on the great grace with which you have bestowed upon us this grand revelation. And as we sit in your presence today, we pray, O oh Lord, that uh, we will. Uh, be able to focus our hearts and minds on what you want us to, what you desire to speak to us today through your word, and also what you would want us to change in our lives. So we ask, lot that you be with us and guide us in the mighty and match name for Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask, Amen. So, like I said, our long and uh, winding look at Psalm 119, this jewel of the Psalms or the Psalm of Psalms as uh, someone called it, is coming to an end today. And the psalm has uncovered for us the many reasons why the people of God should love the Word of God, because it is the revelation of God, the God whom we love. And that it is a great act of condescension on the part of God toward us. Amazing grace, in that God has chosen to speak to us in a manner that we can understand. And not only that, but that he has spoken so comprehensively so that everything that needs to be known about about him, that everything we need to know about him and about how to live in this life is available to us in this grand scriptures. And as Christians, we also know the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he is the word of God made flesh. The final word, the last word, as Hebrews chapter 1 and 1 says. So we should have an even greater appreciation for the grace of God in his revelation to us. We also remember that Jesus was a man of the word who loved and lived by the word and who did so perfectly in a manner no one else can lay claim to. So we seek to emulate his example. And so we want to proclaim with David As he did in in verse 14 of this psalm, he says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. But Jesus also exemplifies another theme that flows throughout this psalm, which is that there are two ways to live in this world. There is a way in which you can love God and his word and live by it. And then there is a way in which you can hate God and his word and live in opposition to him. Those who love God and His Word are in constant danger of being oppressed and persecuted by the world. And yet, their strength and their hope and their confidence in God never falters because of the Word that they have stored in their heart. That was the example of Jesus who, as we read in Philippians chapters, uh, in Philippians we read, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. So as we come to these final two stanzas, we see David the psalmist undertake an overview or a summary of the themes of of the psalm in these 16 verses. His love for God and God's word, the two ways of living, and also ultimately the godly man and woman's hope of salvation, which is God himself. And if you look at the first eight verses you could say that, that those eight verses, the first answer is the testimony of David. It's the testimony of David. And the second eight verses are his prayer to God. So if the first eight are the testimony, the second is his prayer to God. But you can also broadly discern three main points in these 16 verses together. Three, verse, uh, three points that are based on having a love for God's word. And these three points describe a life of faith, a life of prayer, and a life of praise. A life of faith, prayer, and praise. Or as my wife uh, pointed out to me, they are not here right now, but it's a life of faith, uh, prarthana and kirtana, because that's literally what their names mean. So when we look at these three points, let's uh, begin by looking at the life of faith. See, in these passages, uh, mostly in the first stanza, which is his testimony, David identifies a few characteristics of the life of the godly person, specifically the life of faith. And he says that the life of faith is one that is dependent on God and immersed in the word of God. And it also means that one is not afraid to identify oneself, as belonging to God so if you read 119 and 173 it says let your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts see he says he has chosen God's precepts it is not that he has chosen to do those precepts and is therefore acceptable to God because he succeeds at doing them or he is not acceptable to God because he fails to keep them but rather he has chosen to be identified by those precepts and his persistence is in trying to keep them regardless of success or failure. So this identification puts a man or a woman solidly in God's camp as opposed to the world. For being uh, being for God is intrinsically tied to being for God's precepts which are his word. And this identity that I belong to God, therefore I choose his precepts, I choose to live by them. It, it has many facets in the life of faith. First, you know, the, Dave, the psalmist again reminds us of his love and delight in the word. In 162, we read, he rejoices in the word as one who finds great spoil. Now we remember David was a king, and so the word spoil has a specific meaning which is that as kings they go to battle and when you conquer uh, a neighboring or an enemy territory you get access to all of the riches that they had which are yours because you conquered them and not only that but you also have the triumph uh, or the glory of triumph the fact that you are victorious So, so you have a certain glory that comes from winning plus all of the material goods that you would gain as a result of that conquest. And he says, even beyond that, I rejoice in the word. As a king who has the experience of finding great spoil, even beyond that, I rejoice in the word of God. And verse 163 and 165, he talks of loving the law. Verse 167, he talks of loving it exceedingly to an to a, uh, unimaginable extent. In 174, he says the law is his delight. So we see here that David's love of God's word is not just reflected or rooted in some kind of uh, intellectual activity that, that I just want to keep pursuing knowledge. But rather it is his passion. He has emotional joy and satisfaction and delight in the word. He's not cold when it comes to speaking about the word. He's he's emotionally invested. You know, Psalm 19 and verse 10, very familiar words, it says, more to be desired, talk about God's word, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. It says the word tastes sweeter than honey. And today, you know, C.S. Lewis has written a book called Reflections on the Psalms, and he goes into great detail on some of these Psalms. He says, you know, today... We are so uh, drowned in sugar, right? We have maple syrup. We have high fructose corn, star- corn syrup. So, like, you don't think twice about sweetness. But in those days, they didn't have access to all of that. It was, it, was a, it was a luxury, it was a delicacy to have honey. And he says, sweeter even than that, and then the drippings of the honeycomb is God's word. It brings you delight, even more than something that you can only occasionally have. And what is the source of this delight? For one, it is in the overwhelming acknowledgement, once again, of the fact that the mighty God of the universe has condescended to speak to him personally, simply, comprehensively. And this word of God reflects the moral perfections of that God himself, so that the mere human being cannot but be awed and astounded by it and find great joy. This language of delight, of taste, of riches, of spoils is, as Calvin uh, says, or or I believe it's Lewis who actually said this, he said, it's the language of a man who is ravished by true moral beauty. That he has seen what perfection looks like. And therefore, out of his mouth comes all of this exuberance, this joy. Secondly, his delight comes in comparison by looking at the word, and how he's able to live in the word, with the word, by the word, and how the world lives without it. By looking at the peace and the hope that he has and comparing that to the empty pursuits and insecurity of the world, which you can read throughout the psalm, he's able to find satisfaction in the grace of God. And so, he finds delight. And that's why he has taken so much time and so much effort in composing this love letter, to the word of God. You know, once again, Lewis says this, that it's a pattern, he's talking about Psalm 119, a a thing that is like embroidery, stitch by stitch, through long, quiet hours, for love of the subject, and for the delight in leisurely, disciplined craftsmanship. What he's saying is that this Bible, the word of God, brings him so much delight, that the tribute that he pays to it, is through the toil through the through the effort of long hours to craft it and to take delight in that craftsmanship because the word of god deserves nothing less so the 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 life of faith is one that finds delight in the word of god then secondly he once again talks about the two ways of living the life of faith is is lives by the word as opposed to the world which lives in opposition to it and we see this in his characterization of, of uh, the princes who persecute him in 119 and verse 161. It says, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. See, throughout the psalm, um, you see the pattern of oppression by the world of the godly. But here, he points out the oppression comes from princes. These are people in high places of ruling authority, where before it was a more generalized oppression by the world. Here it's escalated to persecution by the highest levels of power. It could even be those within his own community. And you can see here that their persecution is without cause. That means without truth or unjust. The principles that they follow do not place any value on truth, which is on the moral ethics of God and his word, all they are concerned about is their pursuit and exploitation of power, no matter how unjust that might be. But David, as we have seen, he says that that persecution has no effect on his ultimate peace and confidence in God, as we have seen before. But more than that, he says, I refuse to fight back at their level, or even to fight back at all, he trusts that God will vindicate him one way or the other. And many examples of this attitude are there in David's life. And you read First uh, and Second Samuel, for, for example, how he let Saul uh, live when he encountered him defenseless in a cave. Or how he let this man called Shimei curse him when he was defeated by his own son and he, and he was uh, escaping away in humiliation. This man came and hurled curses at him all the people around him said, you're still the king. If you say so, you can just kill him. He says, no. He says, I am not the one to fight back at the level that the world fights against me. So the opposite side of that clause in verse 161 is not street fighting at the level of the rulers. You know, craft with craft, violence with violence. But David says he's in awe of the commandments of God. He's in awe of the commandments of God. And and, and we lose uh, sometimes the the proper sense of the word awe. The word means to shiver, to tremble, to fear. And the same word is found in Psalm 119, verse 120, in this very psalm. It says, My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. He says, My heart stands in fear, or my heart is afraid of your word. He's saying, I will not fear man, but I will fear God. He has a godly fear that is motivated both by the truth and righteousness of God and his commandments. And also he knows, as we read in 168 of the same psalm, he says, I keep your precepts and testimonies. Why? For all my ways are before you. He said, ultimately, only God knows everything about me. Only God knows my inner thoughts. And therefore, only God can stand in judgment. So, I do not fear the princes, but I do fear God. And that fear translates to his hatred of all falsehood. He says, I I hate and I abhor falsehood and his love of the law. David scorns the notion that falsehood of any kind is a valid way to live in this world, regardless of whatever benefits that might come to him or any temporary protection that it might get him. And we live in an increasingly uh, polarized, unethical world in which even Christians talk of obtaining power by any means, of taking back wealth or status by any way because the government has stolen from us or whatever that might be. And David's words, here should be a sobering reminder that those who claim the mantle of being God's people are called to live in a manner that shows that afraid of God and therefore to live in a manner that reflects and honors his character. That means to abhor all kinds of falsehood, hate all kinds of falsehood and to truly live like we love God and his word no matter what the cost is. So he has delight in the word and then he wants to live in a manner that honors God. And because of that, in verse 165, he says he finds great peace. He says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I think in the KJV it says, they will have no stumbling block. And that's a little, um, it's a little misleading. He's not saying that there's a guarantee for the godly to have freedom from adversity. But what he's saying is that, regardless of circumstance, the godly have great peace in such a way that no situation can trip them up, can take away their peace, their joy. And this peace is the peace of God that that Paul says, you know, passes all understanding in Philippians chapter 4. It says, the peace of God that passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds. You know how often many people ask, you know, you would have noticed that sometimes, oh, how can you be so calm when all of this is happening to you? Or how can you be, still be joyful when all of this has happened to you? It seems like insanity to be peaceful in the midst of severe tribulations in the world. The calmness of mind and heart. But that is why it says it's a peace that passeth all understanding. Great peace. It's the happiness of eternal hope in God for our salvation. And therefore it cannot be understood but it is the privilege the inheritance of those who love God's law. And his peace comes from loving that law because the word of God is sure. It is as sure as God himself and to depend on anything else which is less sure is to tremble at every passing wind of life. As verse 166 says, therefore we have hope not in the passing things of the world but the secure salvation of a God Whose commandments are true, they are sure, they are everlasting, and his promises never fade. So the, faith, the life of faith is one that finds itself a delight in the word, that that portrays itself with a testimony of character and godliness, and ultimately has a peace that comes from God himself and from his word. And then when we come to the second stanza from verse 169 onwards, we see that David's testimony is followed by prayer. And if you think about it, the contents of this last stanza, this is literally the last part of the psalm, are a bit surprising. You would think that you know, after all of the talk about the greatness of God's word and, and, and you know, how beautiful it is, that, that you should end with, with a note of triumph or at least with a note of joy. But we find that it ends with a cry from David's heart for the grace of God to be made manifest in his life even more. So we read from 169 to 176. It says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing off your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me. For I have chosen your precepts. I long for... Your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. See, what happened is that in his relentless pursuit of understanding God's word, it had become more clear to him, or it had become even more evident that he was frail. In his human heart and in his flesh, he was frail and therefore he understood that he was even more dependent on God's grace to see him through. In understanding more of God, he also understood more of himself and how far removed he was from the perfections of God's law that he felt even more compelled to throw himself at the mercy of God for sustaining him in life. And this is a reminder that we are never beyond the need for prayer. Especially the more well-versed we are in the Word of God, the more evident it becomes to us that we are in need of prayer. And in this passage, you know, if you look at the first four verses till verse 172, it's, it's, his, it's his cry to God to hear him. And the last four, it is his plea to God to, to help him. So he says, God, hear me. And then he says, God, help me. And, and in verse 169, he's, he cries out to God to give him understanding according to his word. See, he wants God to give him knowledge. But the purpose of that knowledge and understanding is to be in tune with the word of God, to know what is right so that he can do what is right. That's why, you know, we sing, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. God has promised that those who will cry out to him for that kind of understanding in order to live according to the word to, to live according to what is right to do what is right he will answer and so in verse 170 he pleads that he will be delivered or vindicated in his current circumstances but again in accordance with the promise of God and with the righteousness of God he knows his ways are not God's ways so he cries out for God to work out his deliverance according to God's character and promises not according to his own requirements And verse 171 and 172 are not cries of plea but rather shouts of praise because he knows his prayers have and will continue to be answered by God. He says, God, I praise you because you teach me. I praise you because your commandments are right. Therefore, they are the basis for my life and my deliverance. So he cries out to God. And then he pleads to God to help him. Verse 173, he says, he asks God to be ready to help him, let your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts because I have aligned myself with you and therefore I face intense persecution and opposition from the world and from the rulers of the world. And because he delights in God's law in verse 174, his consistent longing therefore is for the salvation of the Lord to be made manifest in his life where others might chase after the security of this world, he longs for the salvation of the Lord. So once again, in verse 175, he says, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. He says, God, deliver me from the threats to my life here on this earth, but only so that if I live, I may continue to praise you. And in that life, he prays for God's rules to help him. Say Keeping the commandments of God is not a magic spell against danger. But in keeping those rules, we make known our faithfulness and our allegiance to God. And so he pleads to God, I want to see your hand working in my life so that the world can be affirmed and can be confirmed in the righteousness of these rules. His defense in life does not lie in the practice of righteous living, but in the God who commands that righteous living. Psalm chapter three, Psalm 3 and verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So your defense in life does not come from following rules, but because you follow the rules that God has given you, it comes from God. And so he prays, affirm and confirm the righteousness of these rules by helping me in my present situation. The last words of the Psalm, 176, he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And you know, he mentions going astray, and and it's tempting to think, as many have thought, that this means that somehow he's afraid of losing his confidence in salvation. But it is not you can immediately see the counter clause where he mentions, for I do not forget your commandments. So he says, I do not forget your commandments. So he's not afraid of losing his salvation. So what is David saying? He's saying that though he has spent all this time learning and appreciating God's word, enough time in order to even to to write this 176 words long love letter, he's still frail, frail. and even more aware of his frailty, and at the end of the day, he's still a sheep. He might be the sheep with a PhD, but he's still a sheep, in need of the shepherd's care and guidance. And as a sheep, he's still prone to wandering away. And so he pleads that the good shepherd, who is God, will seek him in his wandering and restore him back by his grace. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. know that's from the hymn, "Come thou found of uh, every blessing." And the author of that hymn was a man named Robert Robinson, and his life was exactly as his words say it is. He was very aware of the fact that he was prone to wandering. You know he got saved, he went to a Methodist church, he was restless then he became a Baptist and somehow he was restless there and then he became a Unitarian, which uh, if you do not know, Unitarians deny the trinity of the triune nature of God. So this man knew that I'm prone to wander, I'm prone to leave the God I love. But even David, the author of this great psalm knew that he was prone to wander. And so he throws himself at God's grace and saying, Lord, when I do, be the good shepherd and bring me back. The life of faith leads to a life of prayer. The more time we spend in God's word, the more we become aware of our need for God's grace and help to lead a righteous life. And therefore, the more we are in need of prayer. So we see here David describing a life of, pray, uh, life of faith and a life of prayer. And finally, a life of praise, which completes the psalm. Throughout the psalm, David has praised God for the astonishing grace of his revelation. And in these last verses, he sprinkles the praises to God here and there once again. He cannot begin to be jaded or be cynical. Or to take for granted the fact that God has spoken to him. So in verse 164, he says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rule. Seven times a day. And I grew up in the Middle East where, some of you might be familiar, they pray five times a day. Right? So there's a schedule. So you would think, oh, seven times a day, David put some kind of schedule for him to praise, praise God. But that's not what it means. Uh, a similar verse is there in uh, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says, "For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity." For the righteous falls seven times. So if you knew the times of the day where you're going to fall, you would just avoid it, right? Or or maybe sleep through it. Now that's not what he's saying. He's saying the seven times, when it's used in in, in the Hebrew Bible, is a number is a sign of constancy continual activity, a kind of persistence, permanence. He's saying that in in meditating upon God's word, and knowing more about God, and his perfections, and his character, and in evaluating God's character against his own wandering frailty, and finding himself utterly worthless, and yet to know that God has graciously revealed himself in spite of all that, and in seeing the extent and purity and delight and joy that comes from that revelation, he cannot but live a life of praise. That is to praise God throughout the day and indeed throughout his life, regardless of his circumstance or condition. You know, John Calvin says this about, about this. He says the amount then is that when David was, was so occupied in meditating upon the law of God, he found it distinguished by such a great perfection of righteousness and wisdom that from time to time he burst forth into the exercise of praise and thanksgiving that that his life was filled with the awareness of the grace of god's revelation that from time to time it would overflow it was, and he goes on to say calvin it was not simply admiration which constrained him to this praise, but a principle of gratitude, for he saw that nothing more excellent could be bestowed upon men as their being renewed to a blessed and endless life by the incorruptible seed of heavenly truth. Then he goes on to say this, yet scarcely one in a hundred of those to whom God offers this treasure puts himself to the trouble of giving God thanks for it even in an ordinary manner. He's saying if you all you could think about was God's word. And that's all you had to praise God for. Then your life would overflow with praise. And then he says, even it's like it's rare to find even one in a hundred whose life is characterized by that joy, by that praise. You know, David says in one seventy-one, he says, My lips will pour forth, he says, bubble over like a fountain with praise. Because the outpouring of his heart because you teach me your statutes because God is willing and has taught him the statutes contained in his word that is he has given him understanding to comprehend the majesties of the word and to apply it in his life the next verse 172 his praise turns into a song he says my tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right music as we know is perhaps the ultimate human expression of joy and delight. And the joy of music can rise above even the direst of circumstances. We remember Paul and Silas breaking forth into song when they were in prison. And earlier David himself had said in this Psalm 119, verse 54, he says, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my wandering, on the house of my sojourning. He's saying, I will sing praises to God for his word because I am joyful in knowing that all of the commandments contained within it are right. There is no danger of falling away from the presence of God because of the commandments of God, because they are right, regardless of my sojourning, regardless of my circumstance, regardless of my situation. Then in verse 175, he says, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. His prayer is that God will prolong his life here on earth, but only if that meant that he was able to live a life of praise and he was able to testify to the grace of God through his praise. In a Psalm 115, verse 16 to 18, says that the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but on the earth, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and evermore. Praise the Lord. What is the point in having a voice? in having the breath of life, if it is not exercised in praising the one who has given us that voice and who has breathed life into us and who holds this life in the palm of his hands and thereby has promised us promised us life forevermore. He says, let my soul live, but if so, let it be to praise you the condescension of God in giving us His word, His grace in revealing to us His commandments and giving us the understanding to comprehend them, the security that we have that He will not leave us or forsake us, but He will indeed abide with us if we align our hearts and our minds and our life with Him and His commandments and His precepts. May that be for us as it was for David, a call to live a life filled with faith, prayer, and praise. May our lives be like this psalm, the embroidery, the tapestry that testifies to the grace of God who is not silent, who has spoken, and who indeed has spoken to us. May his name be glorified. Father God, we thank you, Lord, once again, for your precious word, that incorruptible seed of, of, of heavenly Righteousness that you have given to us, that you have bestowed upon us by your grace. We thank you for your spirit that enables us to understand it in a manner that no one else can, and therefore to have everything we need to live a life of godliness. We pray, O Lord, that you will enable us to live that life. Many a times we are wandering, we are lost, in need of our shepherd to pull us back. We pray, O Lord, that you will bring us back from our wandering. And in doing so, you'll give us the renewed opportunity and the privilege and the, and, the, uh, and the conviction, O Lord, to live a life that is in opposition to this world, a life of faith, a life of dependence in you that is expressed in constant prayer. And most of all, o Lord, a life of joy and contentment, in knowing that you have spoken to us, that you are not silent, that your word is true and will remain true, that it will abide even if the heavens were to fall away. And in knowing that, to have our hearts and our mouths and our minds overflow with praise to you throughout our days here on earth. If it be so, in your grace to extend our lives, may it be one that testifies to your grace, to the salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the truth of the Holy Word that you have given to us. And therefore, may your name be glorified. We ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.